Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Lorenzo Tione, Managing Director at Gendrums, one of the largest venture syndicate in the world and the only one that is focused on bringing diversity in the VC ecosystem. So Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. Much appreciated and thank you for having me. Great. So uh, Lorenzo, what I want to talk to you about today is first we'll discuss your background and then we'll go over your role at Gendrols and then we'll touch on Gendrols and what it is. Uh, we'll also discuss your investment philosophy and then some of the sports tech startup that you guys invested in. And then we'll discuss uh, you know, what you're looking for when investing in startups as well as your advice to anyone looking to start a career in investments. So how does it sound? Sure. Great. So uh, why don't you start by telling us about your background so that people understand sure. who you are and so on. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I would say my background is pretty rooted in technology. Um, I studied computer engineering, computer science, and from there became a research scientist at Xerox Park and uh, launched a startup in 2003, uh, was the technical co-founder of probably one of the earliest uh, um, AI companies applied to the problem of web search, uh, which is yep. incredibly topical and, and relevant today. The company yep. was called PowerSet at the time and in an, a sort of a, a sign of times to come or things to come, we were acquired by Microsoft, uh, very much kind of looking at the same vision and idea that you know um motivated them to now kind of their partnership with open ai and obviously yep. it was 15 16 years ago different technology much less computational power uh, a lot of breakthrough had not happened yet so um it's it's actually cool to see how much of that vision is being realized now and and it's nice to be a part of that change from the investment side i started investing right as part of that acquisition and started multiple other startups, a couple of which failed, as one would expect, and um, one that is still around and, and always been uh, sort of bootstrapped and profitable, which is another really great way to start a business. Um, but I really focus on the importance of uh, amplifying stories and voices from communities and people that uh, were not already participating in this incredible engine of innovation and wealth creation that is and was the venture uh, ecosystem. And one of the first things I did was I started a nonprofit called Startout that supports yep. LGBTQ entrepreneurs and founders in the ecosystem back in 2008. Uh, yep. It's still vibrant and grown to a 40,000 strong uh, community of entrepreneurs and constituents all around the country. And it's the largest nonprofit that supports the LGBTQ entrepreneurial community. And from that, came the work of Gangels, which was born originally as an angel group that was really focused on the LGBTQ community, but has evolved into, as you said, one of the largest, most active venture syndicates in the world and the only venture investor that is single-handedly focused on bringing more visibility, representation, and diversity in the venture capital ecosystem at all levels of 
leadership decision making and of value creation starting from the founders by going into staff the governance and even the cap table all of these are places where more participation and more visibility and more representation ultimately brings about social change yeah and, and so can you maybe tell me more about uh, you, you say you guys say you build this great community right so if let's say i'm part of uh, you know the ecosystem and i have an idea or i have a startup can you tell me more about the process and how uh, you guys would maybe hear about some investment opportunity and then you guys, you know, obviously make an investment. Like, like what, what's unique about this ecosystem and how does it work? So there's really multiple, multiple places where it's um, unique and, and interesting. And you, you kind of made an example or give, gave an example that is very founder centric, uh, where yeah. the value or the, the, the idea is um, the community is helping an entrepreneur that would otherwise not be able to you know, succeed or, or be helped. And that is a part of what we do, but it's yeah. not the whole story. Um, yeah. You could be, for example, um, be a part of, a, uh, of an underrepresented community that has no exposure to the venture capital asset class, has the yeah. means, but has no access to being able to invest in the top tier deals that exist in the venture capital community. So yeah. what we've done is we basically uh, collected and created this kind of um, pyramid or, or three pillars of uh, the constituencies within the ecosystem. There's the founders, the companies, there yeah. is the individual check writers, the investors, and then the, there are the institutional venture capital firms and venture institutions that have traditionally held the power and that hold the access to some of the best and most profitable deals. And if you build a community that is useful and helpful to all three of these um, and a mechanism for which all these three uh, pillars can benefit from each other almost as a, a rotating flywheel, then yeah. you basically get a thriving and growing community. So what we have effectively done is we've built a network of investors, individual uh, family offices, small funds that um, uh, are incredibly diverse uh, yeah. and represent the LGBTQ community, the disabled community, the people of, co people of colors of various yeah. backgrounds and women um, that traditionally have been left out from the venture capital ecosystem. Yeah. And we've given them the ability to partner um, with venture capital firms um, in the deals that they are investing in. Um, and so what we've done is we uh, built relationship with these firms and by virtue of basically telling them, hey, we'll help diversify the cap table of your uh, portfolio companies. And we will yep. also help your portfolio companies with the direct connections and hiring opportunities and talent pool that comes from this large and growing community and all of the relationship that we and they have built over time. And that in turn goes into bringing more capital and more services to the portfolio companies we invest in. For example, we're the only investor out there that strategically and systemically helps our portfolio companies with sourcing and bringing on board a board of director candidates. So directors on their boards that come from underrepresented backgrounds. And we have had the strongest success and track record than any institutions in terms of being able to bring um, those kind of uh, uh, diverse investors on the board of our portfolio companies. And we're very proud of that, of that track record. Um, you know, from the point of view of an underrepresented founder, they will find um, uh, a community that is positively disposed towards investing in diverse teams, 
they will find a, an infrastructure that is designed to help them thrive and grow their business with introductions to other investors and yep. a community that has built different type of funding channels for entrepreneurs at different stages of need. We have a very early stage uh, set of funding opportunities with small checks, 25, 50,000, all the way to uh, investing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into larger growth round of companies that um, sort of become part of the, of the Gangels community. One of the things that we require though, which is a little bit of a counterintuitive sort of uh, element is that we require those companies to be already venture backed. Um, we are not the first checks that can go in. And part of the reason for this is that we invest in dozens, if not hundreds of companies every month, um, yeah. which is an incredibly high volume of investment. We have a portfolio that is closing in on 2000 portfolio companies. I see that, yeah, um, I see that. And it would be impossible for us to basically be the first line of screening when it comes to the diligence and the deep analysis that goes into coming, getting to know a founder, getting to know a team, getting to understand what they're working on, and then making bets that are associated with it. So what we do is we effectively associate our uh, investment ability and the services that we provide to those companies to the diligence and the screening and the uh, conviction that existing institutional investors with a track record and strong track record in investing in this asset class have demonstrated. And so it creates a little bit of a catch 22 because um, uh, you know, we can't be that, that very first kind of money in, but fortunately there are a number of other funds um, that first of all, fill that, that position in the space, but also have focused and have made commitments to increase the representation and the number and the, uh, participation of diverse founders within their portfolio. And that uh, becomes a kind of a premier, a premier class of VCs that we partner with anywhere from precursor capital, debut capital, Chingona Ventures, and so on. There's uh, Chasing Rainbows, the Pride Fund. There are so many funds yeah. that focus on being that first check for diverse entrepreneurs. And we can come in alongside with them when they feel strongly about a deal um, that they want to invest in, and we can basically augment that capital. And then we do the same thing with large top funds that may or may not invest in diverse teams in each individual uh, circumstance. But what we do is we help those companies diversify their cap table and diversify their team and diversify their governance. And those are all important ways in which we bring more participation within the venture capital ecosystem broadly. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, one of the, I don't know if a lot of VCs who, who focus on diversity and diverse founders, the only one that I can think of right now is uh, Serena, Serena Ventures, right? That and was they're the partners one, the only one I can well. think of, right? And I'm sure you guys are working with them, right? We are. Yeah. Serena, yeah. we are actually even LPs in their funds. So we are okay. very, very close um, with Serena Ventures, but there's many others, backstage sure. capital, debut capital, ch chasing rainbows, as I mentioned. And we know all of them because they are all um, fulfilling a different and important and complementary piece of uh, the way in which we bring about this diversification of the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Um, now you talk about, my. I guess my other question was, do you, to what extent, or you know, do you think there's a lack of diversity among founders? Like, what are your findings, and can you talk I mean, about some it, of the things that you've seen? Yeah, it's not. It's not about uh, you know individual findings. That the, the yeah. data is out there, right? If you basically take the fact that 
underrepresented categories are disproportionately more likely to have um, a need or a desire to be entrepreneurs because they often find discrimination in the employment world or they need to find ways to basically break out of, um, you know, sort of a, a traditional employer-employee relationship. And then you pair that with the fact that when you look at venture funding itself, where yeah. dollars go, um, the vast majority of those dollars go to companies with either exclusively male founders uh -huh. or at least one male white fund founder in them. Um, and then when you start to look at companies with um, intersectional founders like trans women of color or women, yeah. you, you get a proportion of the dollars that is absolutely disproportionately lower than the percentage that they make up of the overall founder population, right? And yeah. there isn't any reason for that to happen other than systemic lack of access. It doesn't even have to be bias or discrimination yeah. or uh, sort of uh, um, uh, misogyny or homophobia. It, all it needs to be is um, existing networks that are impermeable uh, from outside and yep. money that recirculates to the same networks because, hey, you've worked with that person, you've went to that school, I've invested in your company before. And if the money and the support only recirculates in the same social network, there is no opportunity for anybody else to break in. And part of the work that we're doing is to try and break apart those social networks and expanding them so that there can be more check writers of color, more women that are writing checks, more um, LGBTQ disabled and neurodiverse yeah. people that are participating in this engine of innovation and of wealth creation. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you guys are doing this. It makes complete, complete sense to me. Uh, now, can you tell me more about your role as a managing director at Gendra, what is your like kind of your day to day? What do you do on a regular basis? What's your I primarily, yeah, I primarily talk to founders and companies that we might um, consider investing in, either as part of our syndication um, or as part of one of our fund investments. Um, uh, and I also uh, regularly uh, connect and, and talk to our venture partners, to our other venture capital firms that we partner with to understand what deals they might be working in so that yep. we can um, support them. And then a big uh, portion of my day is spent talking to existing portfolio companies and understand what they need and how we can be helpful, either directing them to internal resources like our board's diversity program or connecting them externally with other parties that may be helpful to them, either new investors or business partners or potential customers or just simply talking through strategy around what is happening for them. Um, yeah. The rest of my time is filled with uh, sort of being preoccupied by administrative and strategic aspects. I mean, as you can imagine, uh, weeks like this past one we just had has been everything around uh, helping our portfolio companies with their treasury management and risk assessments, as well as understanding our own exposure to um, the banking system and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, with uh, SV, uh, so SVB, you mean Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah, yeah, uh, makes sense. So now, how would you describe your investment philosophy in a few uh, a few words, or what what is your philosophy? Yeah, so there's two side of that. There is my own personal um, investment kind of strategy or philosophy, and I can tell you that um, you know from my my own point of view, 
where I think I can add the most value, uh, where I think I can understand uh, the strength of a product or of an approach or of a technology the best, um, that's where I invest. And so I tend to invest at the early stages. So anywhere from pre-seed to series A, um, don't particularly sort of, uh, you know, have some diversification, but like generally speaking, where I can make a difference is when I have a relationship with the founder is still trying to get product market fit and sort of those early stages. And then the sectors in which I um, both find uh, my kind of help is the most fit in, fitting, but also where I want to see the most innovation happen. And therefore yeah. there's some kind of social impact aspect to the investment work I do. Um, is ultimately in the decarbonization of the food supply, decarbonization of the supply chain broadly. And so we're talking about ag tech innovation, food tech innovation, uh, alternative proteins, um, uh, bio-fermentation, meat, uh, self-cultured meat, and, and so on. Um, decarbonization of the supply chain with reverse logistics, uh, electrification of the transport and freight system, battery, energy storage, energy production, and so on. Uh, Health and wellness, especially where it comes from um, health and wellness optimization. And so diagnostic wearables and AI applied to the quantified self and individual health and optimization and extending all the way to uh, longevity research and longevity support. And so, um, you know, life health span extension. Um, and then some work in the uh, gaming platform media space, although pretty limited. Uh, the rest of my investments are all in AI. And that, okay. as I was telling you, it's really kind of stemming from my background and my sort of long-rooted um, sort of belonging to this community and understanding both where we were 20 years ago and what are the potential and opportunities for this, these technologies to disrupt um, the creative industry, the uh, financial industry. I mean, pretty much every industry is going to be disrupted in one way or another by the evolution and, and the innovations that are happening in AI. Yeah. Uh, from a, a firm perspective, uh, we are much more generalist, right? So I have uh, colleagues that focus on late stage rounds. Uh, we do everything from pharma and biotech to fintech to enterprise SaaS to, uh, although we're not doing much right now, but we used to do a lot more direct to consumer and CPG. Um, so it's very, very broad, uh, insure tech, prop tech um, sort of set of, of investments. And the primary reason for that is, as I explained, we are not the experts in any individual one of these areas. We invest alongside other investors who are evaluating and screening and choosing these companies to be the ones that they want to uh, deploy capital in. And so we tack, we are able to attach ourselves to that. And moreover, our network of investors, which are ultimately the ones that are deciding what to invest in with their own money, um, each one of them will have a different focus, a different interest, a different expertise. And so in a sense, it's about creating a menu of opportunities that is broad enough um, so that everybody will find something that is to their liking and to their needs. That makes sense. Yeah. And speaking of AI, because that seems to be one of your focus, do you know uh, a gentleman called Adam Scheyer? That the person uh, I know, the I know Adam very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he almost joined. He almost joined the company that I started. Uh, we had, you know, many conversations as he was leaving SRI, and instead yeah. went on to start Siri. He did pretty well. I'm joking. He did pretty well. Yeah, you know, uh, and more than once 
right? So with Viv Labs after right. that. So, um, hey, uh, because we you know we focus on sports and tech, obviously, and it's funny because I've come across and we work with some startups in sports and tech that actually receive investment from you guys. I remember mm -hmm. seeing uh, Uplift Labs, uh, which has an interesting application leveraging computer vision just with a, a, a smartphone app, basically. Um, can you talk about some of your, uh, you know, sports tech startups that you guys invested in? Yeah, I mean, um, again, with a portfolio that is 2,000 strong, it's hard for me to kind of uh, yeah. be quick on my feet with any companies. But um, I know we invested in companies that, for example, started very clearly in the sports tech space and then uh, evolved and pivoted out of it, either expanded the market or found different applications. Uh, one of them was uh, a company that was doing um, sweat analysis for um, athletes and actually had investments and usage from several uh, other um, uh, teams and professional teams. And then over time pivoted into the industrial market. And I know is which doing one you're talking sweat. about because I, I was part yeah. of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Sweat, yeah. Uh, sweat and um, exhaustion analysis and, and heat exhaustion and hydration for the industrial market. Uh, we invested in another computer vision company that um, basically assembled assembles data for visualization um, from a number of different sources that sports team may be using, for example, to analyze, um, you know, strategies or passes or uh, yeah. players' performance from videos. And then ultimately found that what they had built was much more general purpose and could be applied to data visualization and aggregation and dashboarding in a broader in a broader sense. Um, I'm sure there are there's there's a company called um, uh, oh man over not over overtime overtime yes overtime, overtime yeah. that we invested in several times that is actually building a new sports league. Um, and uh, sort of has done this by creating an incredibly engaged community around content um, and uh, merchandise. And then from there was basically able to effectively franchise out their brand into a, a full on a sports league. Uh, and so there's there's many, you know, I could uh, I could rack my brain around trying to find yeah. more. But like I said, we're very generalist. So if there's a great uh, company with great investors, I mean, I know we have uh, uh, Serena uh, as an investor in a number of, of sports-based companies and that we are co-investors with them. Uh, with um, uh, What's the um, name of really famous uh, female tennis player that now is doing Naomi Osaka. Investment. Naomi Osaka? Naomi? No, no. Um, uh, uh, we're talking about um, probably 20, 20, 30 years ago, but it doesn't, oh. it, it doesn't matter right now. Um, okay. And we've invested in a number of companies alongside with her, and and uh, it's just a, it, it's a lot to keep in my in my brain. Okay, no worries. Uh, maybe you can just tell me later when when you remember. Um, so my next question is, you know, what are you looking for when investing in startups? I mean, you kind of touched about that a little bit, but if you had to summarize the things that are, are you looking at, obviously the the founders, the market that they're in. Uh, do they have a competitive advantage? And then what are the things that you guys are looking at? We look at a really excellent team. Um, and so we definitely pay attention to who the team is, who the founders are, where, you know, why do, why do we believe, why should we and the other investors believe that they are uniquely well positioned to solve the problem that they're setting out to solve? We're looking for a large venture scale market, and which, yeah. of course, has changed the meaning of which has changed over time. 
but right now it really means uh, something that can at a minimum generate a hundred million to a billion dollar in revenue per year or more and can like expand from there with a, a large addressable market in the multi-billion dollars worldwide. Um, we are looking for uh, reasonable terms. Um, yeah. You know, especially in times that kind of fluctuate uh, as they have been macroscopically, um, we we look to not, you know, to pay the, the right market price for the investments that we make. We look for cultures that are aligned with our mission, right? And we yeah. ask all of our portfolio companies to sign the Gangel's letter and pledge, which is a, a non-binding kind of a statement that they make around why it matters for them to work with Gangels to help them diversify their talent and their governance and their leadership and their cap table um, yep. and various ways in which they can do so. Uh, and then we look to uh, who the other investors are and we, we make sure that the lead investors and the past investors uh, both are good investors with a track record and knowledge of the space and, and of the asset class, but also that have, um, they have renewed conviction, right? We don't yep. want to see um, past investors that are not continuing to support their companies. We're looking for a uh, strong external new signal of uh, investors that are basically making brand new bets as opposed to shoring up uh, past investments and making sure that they don't go uh, to zero. So that has a place, obviously, especially once you are an existing investor, you want to continue to support those companies. But we really look a lot to what the signal in the market is um, as to the strength of a given company vis-a-vis -vis another one. For the investments that we make from funds, which we have a few, we do our own uh, independent analysis and diligence. And that is a combination of uh, you know, sort of the risks in the market, the competitive analysis, the comparable analysis around exit opportunities and where that fits into the portfolio construction of each fund product that we may be working with. That makes sense. And how many deals would you say you're looking at every month? How many deals? Uh, in terms of evaluated opportunities, I mean, Gangels as a firm, probably 300, I'm guessing, oh. per month. Um, and uh, typically, uh, we will surface or invest in somewhere between 30 and 50 of those. Um, and again, you have, to, uh, you have to kind of take this also with the fact that of those 300, there will be a section of them that just don't qualify and we won't even just look at them. And then the other ones are more kind of about the elements that we were just talking about and who the investors are and, you know, what yep. the terms are and, and so on. But a lot of them already come with, I mean, all of the ones that we look at come with um, an investor, uh, an elite investor and an investor in perimeter, which means that they've already made it through several layers of screening that has gone from the tens of thousands down to the few dozens, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, uh, hey, last questions. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone, right, looking to start a career in investments. I mean, obviously you've got your own path, right? You were an entrepreneur and then you got into the investment world. So what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there isn't, it, it's, it's basically what I would say is that if whatever your, per, your career may be or have been, you know, build out the career that you are passionate about. Like if you're passionate about finance and investments and trading and stocks and bonds and, equities and markets, then by all means, go build out a career in that market, right? Uh, go build out a career in that market, either 
going after the venture capital uh, um, sort of positions right away, you know, with a degree in finance maybe, or, uh, or a degree in engineering, but it, you know, ultimately um, that becomes an early, early play in your career that is much more about networking than it is about uh, knowledge because what at that stage in your career you would be evaluated on is your ability to uh, you know bring deal flow connect with founders uh, network within the ecosystem um, if you are if you are a finance driven person which I'm not you may have gone into investment banking and finance market and build out that and then from there move into the analyst world and in the investment professional. And I think that that's probably been proven, uh, certainly because it's been the most traditional way of getting into venture to be the one from which the most successful venture investors, broadly speaking, have come. And then there's the third one, which is um, that of the operator or the uh, founder or product person or, you know, high level uh, employee at a startup where you've seen it happening from the inside out and you understand what it takes to raise money, what it takes to use money to go and build a product that people want and build a company that builds out value for its employees, its stakeholders and its, um, its investors. And then you can go and, and sort of be that because in a sense, you have both the ability to see through what makes a good product and a good company, but also to be the party that an entrepreneur can talk to and connect with um, and help them think through the problems they have either as a board member or as a minority investors as we are. All yeah. of those three are, are good ways to kind of break it into the industry. Yep, no, no, that makes some sense. And I, and I worked in finance, I worked for Wall Street. Hated it, hated it. Getting up at 3.30 in the morning wasn't for me, but then I think working with entrepreneur was always something that I, I, I enjoyed doing. Uh, but I think every path is different, right? So, um, but look, uh, we, we're at the end of the interview, but I want to thank you for your time today. Great conversation. Perfect. Thank you so much, Julian. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.